Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material Devolution has begun. Welcome back to the Material Devolution Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Devin Ebert. It's a pleasure to have you here. I didn't know if we'd ever be back, but apparently they can't stop us. They can't hold us down. Mr. Legendary Matt Walter. How are you doing, brother? Right? They can't hold us down. And I was uh, with you. I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen with the podcast, but we got some downtime. COVID-19 happened. I uh, was able to set up the office studio. And here we are, a little zoomy, zoom, zoom. Everybody's using it these days. They got backgrounds and all kinds of crazy stuff and uh, backgrounds and security breaches and everything with zoom but anyway uh it's uh luckily to that we're in a, a place of technology that we're able to do this and stay connected because i was just uh facetiming with my parents today and my uh two-year-old son and they really appreciate watching him play in this time when everybody's really isolated and we'll probably get into that a little bit more but uh how you been sir what have you been up to how has life been i think we've been off for about two years now but here we are. We are back. We revived this bitch, <laughs> and we're gonna do the dang thing. We, we we were out for a second. We were out for a second. And just so you know, now we're on Zoom. I can say I've seen that the studio in person. But like now that it's more complete, it looks good. It look, it looks very clean. It looks highly professional. Like you know, we're actually podcasting out of there on the regular. I feel like we're moving up in the world. So well done to you, my absolutely. Friends. And we guess. will be soon. We will be. That's why I got that extra desk, and I got a place for you reserved right here. So when we uh, come off this six foot rule, um, I'll probably still keep you. <laughs> I'll probably still keep you at that distance, but we uh, will <laughs> we'll have a good time face to face and not be uh, not be in the virtual world. But um, here we are. You know, I mean, I I've I've obviously been raising a a young human being it's pretty amazing that they let you do that without some kind of a test um but seems so far so good (laughs) so far so good you know it's it's very uh, it's definitely a test to uh, your patience and your um selflessness let's put it that way you know uh but he's awesome um and uh keeping me busy and sane during this uh during this quarantine era that we are in at the moment they make you a license to go fishing. Right? You got a license to go fishing. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you got to take a test for everything these days. And, uh, but uh, you can have a human being. Um, so. No test on repopulating this, this bitch. I'll nope. Nope. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Whatever. You know, but uh, got my Trump check. Got a little bit for him. Got got Trump bucks. Got my Trump bucks. Were, yeah. Was it direct deposit, or did, did you actually get the? You have to you know, spend those quick. You have to spend those quick before they bounce. <laughs> Coming from, yeah. oh, you know, apparently at Costco at the exact same time they started sending these out. Costco put out a twelve hundred dollar like sale on like an eighty three inch LCD TV or whatever LED TV, and it like sold out instantly. Smart. I wonder why they chose that price. Interesting. We actually had people coming into uh, uh, some of our stores that we won't mention um, and saying, "Hey, I have what? Do you, what can I get for twelve hundred dollars?" And so <laughs> these are the people who really needed it. These are the people who are like, "Yeah, exactly, them. right." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just got direct deposit, so I, but apparently, you know, you put his name on it, so if you got a check, it says says Donald Trump. So like, people who got a check are like, "What well, gave me money?" 
I Dude. mean, you got, you got to admit, when it, when, it, when it comes to, like, just playing the game of, like, manipulating the PR perception, game. Yeah. If you're, if you're willing to do the dirty work, the results are there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. You know I mean? Apparently, he asked Steve Mnuchin if he could sign him, and then I, I guess there, you, you can't do that. It's, it's illegal uh, for the, the... It's illegal to sign him, but doesn't mean you can't print the name on it. Right, can't print them on it, which is what he did, right? It's like on the left side. Yeah. I didn't get one either. I got direct deposit, um, mm-hmm. which I was really happy about because then I didn't have to see the check with his name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, and I think that uh, that's uh, deserved to say these days. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know. Did you get your uh, your Lysol inhaler, uh, you know, just as a, pro- <laughs> as a prophylactic to, to COVID-19? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty lucky. A good friend of mine, uh, he's friends with a city employee who uh, found an extra box they had of uh, like the real masks, like the M95. Yeah. And so they gave my friend like four or five extras. And so he gave me like two of the extras he had. So I had a legit mask. And I mean, you walk around in grocery stores, you go anywhere. And I mean, I try to obviously, you know, do this as little as possible. Like if you don't need to go anywhere, right? Why should you? So, uh, once a week or whenever you go to the grocery store, I'll just notice when I go, I'm like one of two people who's lucky enough to have that mask. That like one, everyone else has right. like a bandana, like a medical Which is more mask. for for everybody else than themselves, right? I mean, the N95 exactly, protects exactly. you from yeah, those right. particulates, but the others don't. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is it's like from what the science I've read is if you don't have that true filter, then like if you were in some type of blast range, like you're susceptible, yep. you know? It's just a very like illusory idea of safety. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like those M95s. That's what they give them to medical professionals. Like you have to have that. If medical professional had what you see people at the grocery store having, they would get COVID. Like, yeah, there, there's there's no doubt about it. So yeah. I'm very I'm very lucky in that regard. And I mean, like of all the people to get, it, I don't think we're the most at risk. But like anytime you go out, it's just it's weird. It makes you feel like weird, and you're like, I got to put on nitrate gloves and a face mask to like you know buy buy rice. It, it it definitely makes you understand how vulnerable we are um, as a society and as a system of economics that 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 we all participate in. You know, um, both of those things. I mean, just the the dawning of that equipment to go outside in your everyday environment is so foreign to us as Americans, especially Americans in the twenty first century, that it really it really does make you acutely aware of how fragile life is, you know, when it comes from a a threat such as this, that's unseen that can spread at rapid rate. You know, we're just lucky that it's not, you know, not more lethal. If we go through historical context, I mean, like that's where we really should be looking. And like, of course, you know, as Americans, our favorite thing to do is, is, you know, ignore history. So we're doing repeated at times. And, you know, you look at the Spanish flu pandemic, you look at like the last 20 years of SARS, Ebola, swine flu, you know, all those had more minimalist impact over here, like Spanish flu, the last like great pandemic per se. But like you said, what it's learned is, is like our way of life is so fragile. Well, if these pandemics are inevitable and they are, they pretty much, if you follow the World Health Organization, about every five to 10 years, there's going to be some type of mini pandemic and every 50 to 100 be one of these larger mega pandemics and what they show is is that the way our economic system is built this kind of you know exploitive labor value uh system is that you need so many people forced to work 
in order to get shelter and food that if you shut down the economic system, it causes a domino effect where literally the value of every company turns to nothing because all the value is built on these workers working all the time and their extra value being exploited in perpetuity. And if you can't like structurally stabilize that, then everything starts to collapse into itself. So that's what we're seeing right now with the Fed injecting trillions into the system to keep it afloat because if they don't keep bailing out all these different industries that basically, based on their own logic, a free market should be failing, mm-hmm. you know, if you can't exist, you should have planned better. You should have had more reserves. You should have been ready for this. You should fail. And guess what? A new one will be born. The airlines yeah. go under, they go out of business, somebody buys all their airplanes at liquidity, and they start a new airline, and they should be better ready and better prepared for this. That's usually how, theoretically, the system would work. Instead, we keep falsely propping it up and perpetuating the system where we're always at risk for the next pandemic to put us right back here. We just think we just need to get through this, and we'll be okay, and we can go back to normal. But uh, you and me talked about this briefly. There's never going to be a new normal again. And if this is going to happen again, then what we really should be thinking about is how can we change our economic system where if this does happen, it won't cause a domino effect that could literally like destroy the value of the entire planet and put us into some type of global depression, you know, but if we continue to have this type of capitalist, you know, super monopoly, super oligarchy type system, I just think it's inevitable that this is going to happen again. And it's going to be even worse. Well, when you allow companies to run, super thin without any reserves three months right is what they say the average person should have on reserve in order for a rainy day and say some some catastrophic could happen so you could pay your rent your mortgage your car payments like your major bills you know what i mean and so you should have that in 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 savings but you know they what is it more than 50 percent of americans don't have 500 dollars if if something if a bill unexpected emergency came uh upon you today uh, 50% of Americans couldn't pay $500 cash out of their pocket for that emergency. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pervasive thing throughout their entire culture to run these like crazy, highly leveraged, risky, um, endeavors, right? Like, but with our lives or with our businesses, they don't, um, instead of investing money, you know, you get a tax break and then they all, uh, go on a buying bonanza of, of stock buybacks. So it's like over 700 billion dollars of stock buybacks in like two years. Um, why didn't they save some of that money? Uh, you know, it, it's yeah. ground to a screeching halt faster than the fed, the treasury, all, everybody, I think thought, well, you, there, you there was probably exactly more why. capital within the system, liquidity in the system than there was. Why not do stock buybacks and give out dividends when you know the next time you fail, you're going to get bailed out? This isn't the first exactly. time it happened. It happens every time. They privatize every their time. gains and they socialize their losses, and nobody likes socialism because it's a terrible word. But you know, now all of a sudden, everybody's seeing that you know some level of socialism is necessary, especially when you look at these states that have such obstacles in their in their way to um, access um, some of these social safety nets, like unemployment insurance. Uh, like they were saying, Florida was completely broken. Um, people would have to mail in snail mail in their applications. Um, I think people just have like a complete complete misunderstanding of the word socialism and what it means you know what i mean like they, they like associate it with some like totalitarian ussr idea of communism where like yeah they get they, i think they get confused with like central governance is in regards to economics and 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 they and they are afraid of the nationally owned 
businesses, wholly nationally owned businesses, which but creates what they don't understand which is, which does create corruption, right? I mean, you look at Venezuela and some of those failed states, and that's what has caused those things to collapse, amongst other things. But every time that somebody, every time that's, a, I mean, every time pull the Venezuela word, we really need to look at things. I mean, we can no, no, but listen, here's what I was going to say. Let me finish that thought because what I was going to say is that. Every time that I hear the opposition to socialism, I hear Venezuela, Honduras, um, even I've even heard uh, North Korea, which is completely off from socialism. Interesting. Um, yeah. But uh, that's but but, but you never hear about but you never hear about the prosperous states. That's exactly what I was going to say. That there's there's prospering states that do it, and and they're the happiest places happiest places on the world in the world is Denmark, and I think they pay. 60% of their salaries and taxes, but everything the is, thing, though, they have access to everything. Socialist states. They aren't. Those are close to democratic socialist states. Absolutely. We're a Republic. We're a conservative Republic here of states in the United States. We're a Republic. They are a loose coalition of democratic socialist states. They aren't actually socialists, Correct. but they do embrace a lot more social welfare programs. True socialism Absolutely. at its core is about, the workers owning the means of production right so them determining what's worth working on them determining who does what jobs and when they do those jobs instead of there being one person who says you know because my dad owned the company or because i have more money therefore i'm in charge and i do no work and i order you all around and i create a structure where all of you do what i say and there's a hierarchy instead of hey you know there's 50 of us working at this company why don't we all get together figure out who does what jobs the best what they like to do when, figure out a fair system, and come to an agreement on that. And then we're all sharing in the value of what we're creating in an equal way. That's the true idea behind it. Now, something being nationalized doesn't mean the workers themselves aren't running things and in control of it. It just means the government's coming over and saying, this It means the control of the public because it's it's publicly owned in that respect because- it's about eliminating the profit incentive. Right. Ultimately nationalizing yeah. something. And if an industry keeps failing, airlines, why not nationalize it? The fact that it keeps failing is proof and of itself that it should be nationalized. And if every other element of it, the air traffic controllers, the TSA, the airports themselves, everything is regulated and owned and run by the government. The only thing that isn't is these companies who ask for bailouts every 10 years for $20 billion buying planes. The problem, the problem with government, the problem with when government takes control of things is, is that it becomes bloated and wasteful. You know what I'm so, saying? So it's inefficient. Government governments don't run like businesses because they they're not incentivized to in the same manner because their profits and losses aren't predicated upon so how the risk, their service to the, the, to the the risk of government bloat is that the bureaucracy is larger than it is and maybe more people are sucking at the teeth of the government nipple than they would be if it was a lean efficient market business, right? Well, what have we learned from every lean, efficient market business? If all you have is profit incentive, then everything you do is done without any moral or ethical conscience relative to the profit motive. If it's not illegal, then guess what? We can't even stay in business if we're not doing it. But I think that the because our, our competitors are willing to do it. I think that the best talking about not doing illegal things. Right. If you're not being be unethical, you're going to lose in pretty much any industry because your competitors are willing to do an ethical thing. They're not illegal. I don't know if all of them are willing to do unethical things. You think that all of the best businesses are unethical at some level, 
some degree. At some of... point, they had to be unethical. They almost had to be in certain industries. Now, hmm. That doesn't mean like restaurants or service industries, things like Excuse that. Me. If you wanted to be like a big oil company, you wanted to be a big railway company, you wanted to be a big shipping company, at some point along the way, you had to drive somebody out of business, you had to bribe somebody, you had to skirt some regulation, you had to do something under the table, you had to hire people you knew were you know, undocumented. You had to do that. If you didn't, you wouldn't be competitive with the market and you would lose. The market made you do that. It's almost like you have that type of willful ability to say that it wasn't even your choice because the market made you do it. And mm -hmm. in that sense, you're right. If you want to be successful, it's like we talk about fighting a lot. Why would you not take PEDs when you know everybody else's? Yeah. Do you want to get knocked Absolutely. out? Do you want to lose your fight? Everyone's taking them. You're literally handicapping yourself by not doing it. Capitalism operates in the same well, way. The, where the competition creates the, the competition creates that. And if you're trying to, if you're playing the game correctly, you're playing at the fringes, right? That's really Ultimately, how it yes. is because you're going to maximize whatever opportunities there are that you discover throughout the, the course back, of the Tie that back into Venezuela. I mean, we can go through like the history of socialism and look at other socialist states. You don't find any socialist state since World War II where immediately following a socialist election, there wasn't a coup or there wasn't sanctions. This mm. is just a fact. Now, if there's a coup... You've got the CIA and you know other foreign governments colluding with rebels who aren't happy about socialism, usually very rich people who lost a lot of money and land because, of course, that's what happens. It's like it's a reconsolidation of wealth. And if you have a lot of stuff that's taken from you, of course, you're going to feel violated. Yeah. Whether or not you earned that in any way, maybe you even did earn it ancillarily. And it feels like a violation of your, your, your private property. Right. That's really what a lot of socialism is about, what's private property and what's not. But when that stuff's taken back, it really creates an insurgent feeling. And there's the grounds for these uh, CIA coups that have just happened time and time again in Central America. But we look outside of that, too. Sanctions right now in Venezuela. In oh, absolutely. Cuba, even in non-socialist countries like Iran, what is a sanction? It's literally us torturing the people of the country cutting them off from the outside world create inflicting Ooh, pain up, upon the it's not, it's, it's not the people in charge and no absolutely the not government. right they still it's have to access to the populace in hopes that that'll destabilize the country uh -huh. to create a coup. right so we can't look at socialist states that have had sanctions and then be like see look they suck oh yeah no i've said it's like well yeah the first guy who was elected wasn't a piece of shit then you murdered him, put in some fucking, you know, death squad leader. Yeah, they had to some overthrow military that guy. Junta. And the guy who overthrew that guy, he was a combination of the first guy and the death squad guy. Because that's what they had to have. Uh-huh. Because like they filled a power right? vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. like yeah, first, and I've argued the same thing. I go, how can you, I go, how can you judge a state when you can't, when they can't do business with the rest of the world? Yeah, and like the true revolutionary gets assassinated. So the next revolutionary almost takes on that role. Of, and they're always you know, like worse a of a Stalinist a figurehead because yeah. he's like, if I operate this democratic type share, power sharing, I'm just going to get murdered and somebody's going to take over. Exactly, because that's human nature. Right, you get caught in that power vacuum. Right, so I have to grab power with my iron fist and then run it like that. Yeah, absolutely. I have to so show I, how strong I, I am so I don't I get don't assassinated. Know if socialism a, could work or not. I just think it's funny that we never we already got we already run a hybrid we we already run a hybrid system of socialism. I mean, we 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 we. 
we subsidize the farmers. We subsidize the oil industry, Wall oil Street. and gas industry. We subsidize. We bailed out Wall Street uh, ten years ago. Um, they're trying to bail out uh, Main Street this go round, but uh, Wall Street got in the way because they are the intermediary uh, to deliver the funds to the small businesses. And um, obviously, uh, when you get uh, bankers involved, there's always complications that arise uh, to sway things in their favor in regards to profit, you know? So they're going to make, I think they said off the original PPP program, they were going to make $17.5 billion as an industry over two weeks, just in fees alone on the 350 billion. If you, if you take an average of 5% uh, of, of fees. Um, so that, none of this should be a surprise. I mean, I remember reading Naomi Cohn's disaster capitalism where she hypothesized that, you know, Katrina and the Iraq war were these first instances of the government truly seeing like yeah disaster capitalism war, right these type of world events where it hits the fan whether it's a war whether it's a natural disaster whether it's a pandemic these aren't disasters these are business opportunities right these, the, the private private op, private industries are in love with this because contracts they can give us contracts they can do things mm-hmm. and that counter argument of well, we don't want organizational government bloat. Well, it's like, you know, there's always going to be a problem with any system. The question should be, is the problem, you know, there are lazy people exploiting the system to not do their part of work? Or the flip side, I think, is a lot more dangerous, which is, are you allowing predators to exploit disasters for profit, in which case they cut corners and don't deliver quality services? You know, we can look back at, you know, Blackwater guards doing security post Katrina. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Guys like Chris Kyle claiming they're sniping people from the the Metrodome or whatever the Superdome. Yeah, that's honorable. You know, but I'd be like, they're like, hey, like, we need private security. Like, we need Blackwater security guards roaming New Orleans <laughs> after a hurricane. Yeah. Like, hey, like, Eric Prince, we, can we, I get we, one we, of your Black Hawk helicopters, please? Thanks. Like, we can't deploy the National Guard though. We can't like do all these things that you would assume the government could do. Why would they? Mm-hmm. We want to privatize it. We want to make profit out of it. We can give it to our friends, and they can take. Well, they even did it later. with the, the charter schools in New Orleans, right? That was a big thing in Naomi's book, which she talked about is the replacing of of public institutions with with charter schools in these areas that were decimated and the schools were destroyed. Um, in order to basically privatize the, the school system, right? Which obviously Bestie DeVos is perpetuating that whole uh, narrative and idea, the school choice That's program. That's an interesting also. one too. Charter schools are like a different rabbit hole to go down to because it's like, I'm not, I don't, it would you know, be good to be honest with you, I don't know what side I'm on as far as that's concerned. I haven't done enough research. I'm sure in the coming years I'll be looking into that. You know, we're in San Diego Unified I've, School I've done District. Some research and I am vehemently against them. Yeah. Unfortunately, what they do is is they create a juxtaposition against public education where they suck resources away from public education. Right. 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 Because so you have an area, and those are government subsidized area. as well, right? In some extent, oh, exactly. So there you go. So that's again. Area, so what? Bad schools. They're overcrowded. You know, the, a lot of crime in the area. A lot of kids. Teachers are overworked. All that. What happens? Some rich people who live in the area. The very few go. You know, we don't want our kids going to the same public school that isn't as good. We want them to get better. Which who doesn't want their kids to go better? They have the money to afford it. Somebody says, "Hey, I know how to privatize this. Let's make a charter school. Right. They open the school. They hire some people." We just need to get X amount of kids to apply to go here. Maybe it's 150. Hey, we have this. Now we can apply for the grant. Guess what? Now we're getting the X amount of money per student that should go to the public school. Mm -hmm. 
And now the public school is slowly getting underfunded based on everyone's going to these charter schools now. Now there's even more kids in the classes. Now the teachers even pay less. Now there's less resources. That's why you hear about, you know, teachers bringing their own supplies. Yeah, they're just siphoning off all those monies that are allocated for them, for the public. Because in theory, you're like, of course it'd be better if there was a private class with less kids and more teachers. But then it's like, well, why shouldn't everyone get that opportunity? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or why don't, why don't why don't we explore why don't like, yeah right why don't we use the resources and explore more ways to create a system like that than the public school system? You know one of the things that I have talked about um, in the past with my with my grandma and, and some others because they were actually against um, the federalization of the uh, public school system back when my mom was a, a kid. I talked to her a little bit about it, um, and one of the reasons was uh, just because when things become too large uh standards kind of kind of move towards the middle right kind of back to the back to the mean so to speak and that's like with everything right you always regress back to the mean so um basically they were they were worried about that and so one of the things you know we were kind of talking about within um lower income communities and other places where um, maybe the family units aren't as strong and, you know, they're not getting the support. Kids aren't getting the support at home uh, to stay up on their schoolwork and all those things was to take the schools and decentralize the elementary schools down to, you know, community schools where they maybe not kids weren't from more than a few blocks within each other uh, that went to school in these smaller pods um, where they would be more community driven and more connected to their local, very local, you know, sphere of influence, I guess you would say. And maybe you could do with through those programs, you could actually do, you know, community improvement um, with those kids because they would be more concerned about their immediate vicinity, but you'd have all of those nestled next to each other you know, in like a contiguous, you know, pattern so that in theory, rising tide raises all boats, right? So, I mean, I, I love, I love the concept. It's just right now we're at like a problem where if our cultural, uh, reflectors and incentives don't match our structure, it'll never matter. No, absolutely not. I mean, that's a pipe dream. What I said was a pipe dream, but it's, it's not a pipe dream, man. Like if we don't strive for better, we can never achieve better. But I mean, like conceptually, we need these two things to match, right? We need like our cultural signifiers, are the things that matter to society most and people strive for most. Well, to that, that point, to, that needs to be in line with the structure. To, to so that like, point, do you, those signifiers are like helping each other, serving the public, doing well, doing good, then community structures are brilliant right now. Our cultural signifiers is all about the self and the ego. Yeah, being as popular and rich and well, famous so that's and, and as good at something as possible outside of the spectrum of what anyone else does. Yeah, you know, we we all exist on an island essentially in that argument, and because of that, things like you know, hey, if we just get people who we're, we're, we sell them as a kid their entire life to want to be you know the sports star, the singer, yeah, the oh, business yeah. tycoon, oh yeah. And ninety nine point nine 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 percent of them don't yeah. become that. They're all going to be. When, they're all going to be YouTube influencers now, yeah. right? Like <laughs> us, we're striving. Stars. We're striving for yeah. greatness too. If we're I don't make, TikTok. if I don't make fifty million next year off of this podcast, I'm gonna be really pissed. But yeah, but I mean, it's like if you come from a middle class background and like that happens, you fall into mediocrity normally. 
when you come from a, a, a like an underfunded, underpublished, underschooled, so here's, lower class background, you tend to fall more into these like service level jar, jobs. Yeah, where, yeah, right. You know, you, you don't even you don't even get the base level of security of like, hey, I get a decent existence. I get to go out to eat every now and no. then. I don't worry about my next food. No, you're living paycheck to paycheck on that. Especially if you're you know if you're serving you know tables and it's that's you know your income is predicated on how many people actually you know patronize that store that that uh, restaurant that night. But here's what I was going to ask you. So you said all about all those things about selfishness and um, celebrity worship and you know all of the all of these things about our society and, and the societal change that needs to happen in order to focus more on the things that matter, which would be which, which would start with community and empathy and compassion for their fellow man. Do you think that the current climate that we're in right now and the fact that we are all basically relegated to our homes and we are finding ways to connect through, like I said today, I, I talked to my dad and my, and my stepmother through FaceTime. I've been doing it regularly with my uh, sister and uh, her kids and uh, my mom. And um, so it's really, you know, kind of when you're stripped away of everything else and all that noise and all that glitz and glamour and, you know, plasticity and, you know, consumerism and, and rat race, do you think that all of that stuff that's happening at this moment will actually shift the American paradigm or in a way that we're not so hung up on consumerism and these and, and, and such hostility towards the world and one another? Um, no. No? You don't think that it's no. going to do that? No, you know, uh, like... That was pretty matter of fact and very quick. There wasn't a thought about that unless you, no, unless I was really long winded with my delivery and you no, just no, had no. it loaded, I, I, ready to go. I, I just have a I have a very firm belief. Just like looking back historically, the way things have gone, that you know, post World War II, the suburbanization of America, so to speak, you know, with uh, the New Deal and all the great works projects and things like that, it kind of changed the infrastructure of you know what it meant to be an American and what the American dream was. You know, that's really when the idea of like, oh, you know, I can like have my own house, you know, two kids and a white picket fence. Mm -hmm. That was like that 1940s to 60s idea. But what that did was it changed the idea of community, too. I mean, like America was always kind of like the individual, the rugged individual, the man on his own. But you lived in towns typically and, you know, like everybody would know everyone. There'd be the barber. There'd be this. The way you got around was on a horse and carriage or horse or foot or whatever, you know, not until the automobiles or a train yeah most uh, most yeah. people couldn't own them most people didn't own automobiles right it wasn't until you know the ford production line world war ii again t-model all that stuff everyone started owning them and they changed the way cities were built it used to be the pedestrian was the king of the city absolutely you walk everywhere you see on well, the streets look at where we are people walking this look at san diego like, look at all the trolleys that used to be around and all the old tracks and things like that and how many of those are gone i mean it used to run down 30th street in south park i mean i look at the map of the old train system and you're like my goodness why is that not here now it, it was such a yep. it was such a lack of foresight and forethought and a and a total acquiescence to the auto Automobile, just a hundred percent, just rolled over. Just give it. Well, just that was in, in, industry. Cha industry took over because that—that's where the profit was. The profit was in selling these and, 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 and changing the means of production, the means of delivery. You know, and how we move around. The fact that we drive in our own cars by ourselves with our own people, get your own music, your own climate. Before 
it was a bus, it was a train, it was a trolley, you're with a community, you're with a group of people, you're forced to be around these people. I'm not saying what we do now is necessarily even better or worse. That's like a qualitative judgment. That's for you or me to decide, you know, I like this or I don't. Usually you're going to like what you're conditioned to, but I think what you're conditioned to changes other things about you. When you're conditioned to being around a group of people and living with a group of people, you really need to be in tune with those group of people, what their, what their values are, how they feel about things, uh, caring about other people's feelings a lot, not being as obscene and you know wanting what is important for you because you have to deal with what everybody wants all the time. As we've moved more into this individual's lifestyle, the single serving life, You've got your house, you've got your car, you've got your little family unit, you drive into town. When you want something, you drive here, you drive there. You pick and choose who you interact with as you need. And you can always find, you don't like this guy? All right, I'll find another baker. Very insulated, very insulated, very insulated. I don't need to find common ground even with right. somebody I don't right. like. Very insulated. If, never again. Right, very insulated. And if somebody if somebody penetrates that, you can you can you you have enough options that you can change it. The freedom is is is, is enormous when it comes to of movement and choice uh, right now uh, as it so was So like everybody champion their own need to be able to be like, you know, I need to have my opinion stand alone on its own, which is a good thing because we all have our own unique opinions. But with that being the most important thing, we're stuck with nothing ever changing. Because the most important thing is me getting to have my opinion and sharing it, not being like, where is like the value in my opinion, meet the value in your opinion. And we can like understand that and work towards And then that we can move purpose. it forward. Exactly, exactly. You but if you're I mean? so entrenched in your own opinion and there's and they're opposing then how do you ever how do you ever get forward how do you ever get no one to argues in good faith anymore right that's why that's like right a thing. yeah you know, like, like, exactly like, how can you talk to a ben shapiro and like ever develop anything because they're already so grounded in their opinions and beliefs and things that when you have that conversation the idea behind good faith would be how can we meet in the middle there how can we find some common ground where I'm going to gain new knowledge and be well, willing it's even, to change it's my, even my being, opinion. It's even, you know? it's even being open to listening to what you're saying and, 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 even, and being open to even agreeing with one iota of what the other person is saying, the, right? The toughest thing about it is, is being willing to admit you're wrong because that's usually where real not, growth comes from. Absolutely. You not having... I mean? like, you look back and you say, oh, wow, I was wrong and I was stupid and I, I was really like incorrect to think that way. I'm glad I figured this out and I'm evolving on the ability, forward. but it's pain. It's painful. That moment of realization when you understand that you're wrong and you need to admit it. If you want to actually progress, the ability to change your mind is a powerful thing when it comes to compromise and to progress 100%. And, and especially if you don't have to be right, like something that I've learned in my uh, middle age, <laughs> getting there i actually am these days you're a young man still brother i'm trying i'm trying you know i got a couple little gray hairs here i'm sure you can see them um but uh so um what i've learned is is that you don't always have to be right it doesn't matter in a lot of circumstances to be right that's not the solution isn't to get somebody to understand that you're right it's to get them to the point that where you want them to go so do you understand what I'm saying? So if you're like trying to like work out some kind of conflict, like I don't need to be right against you. All we need to do is move the ball forward. You see what I'm saying? So it's it's a it's a way to allow somebody else to I don't have to assert I don't have to assert my 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 dominance in the in this scenario by by just being like I'm right and that's just the way it's going to be like 
be open to what that's the other usually, yeah you know what i'm that's saying toughest, does that make sense that's the toughest way you can't change somebody's mind by yelling at them even no. if you're right right you've got all the correct that's points. what i mean you're making good arguments you're destroying their arguments if you're coming at them typically from that direction people's natural human instinct throw is their guard up throw up their guard deflect repel attack back you know all those instincts. now they're forced into a situation to defend their their their, their stance their position well now the best method i found but at the end of the day you got to remember too it's human instinct to never want to admit fallibility and it's human instinct to not want to like do that type of critical we can't be vulnerable right maybe i shouldn't say it it is human instinct because maybe it isn't maybe it was the other way around but it feels like you know we really don't want to like look inwards and make that type of deeper painful change Right. I think it just comes with, I I think it comes with, I think it comes with age or wisdom or whatever you want to call it. I think it just, I think everybody is moving towards that. I think everybody's progressing that way throughout their life, whether they're consciously or unconsciously doing it. And some people are quote unquote enlightened into different stages at different times. Um, But I think it comes, you know, some, maybe some, if they're, if they're just a wiser, you know, old soul, I guess you would say, maybe have that perspective at when they're younger, but especially as a young man, you're kind of conditioned and taught everything, the opposite of that, as far as your social norms are concerned, you know, it's the, you know, it's the, the masculinity and the testosterone and the, I'm going to kick your ass and, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and I'll show you and, all those things, right? Of course. You know, and, and like I yeah. said, I mean, and, and I don't think all of it's like malicious intent and, and, and it's intent. I think it's just, it's just the nature of, of growing up in, uh, in our society, you know, play football and, you know, shoot guns and do those type of things, you know, and, and it's not bad, yeah. but I'm just saying it's just the, the nature of what happens to, to men in their young 20s those things are all like awesome in their own respite if you can put them in the right vacuum it's like they're almost used as a tool to like cultivate certain behavioral patterns before you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it you right. know what i mean yeah like, like you get into guns and shooting stuff and explosions before you truly understand the power and danger of what a gun is you know what i mean yeah i think in the, in the reality of what of what it can do um for sure i you know i think that guy i think that people that grow up with guns though i mean i i was always i grew up with um in my grandparents house and they had a 22 underneath the bed uh unloaded but i knew exactly where the rounds were also um long gun 22 and uh you know but i was always very aware of what uh what the what a gun what a gun could do and i was taught you know, gun safety at a very early age. So I would hope that a lot of people would do that. I mean, maybe I didn't understand, you know, exactly what it would do, but I would shoot a lot of squirrels in the backyard. So maybe I did, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, so I, I would, I would, anyway, I, I, we got off on a tangent with the gun safety thing, but, um, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think but that most people that grow up around was- guns are, 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 are taught. Well, I would say back, back to your other point earlier though, about, you know, like, an argumentative approach like i've always preferred the socratic method uh which still got him put to death by the state so funny i think that's the best method but yeah i, I still do think it's the best method to <laughs> ask somebody questions when like you really want to like get into their stance because then you're not even coming at it from like and like i'm like challenging i'm like i'm, I'm interested i'm under, it's it's from questions. a level of understanding is, when you take somebody down the rabbit hole it gets to a point where when they realize what they're saying seems absurd or incorrect they either 
have to get mad at you or they have to like acknowledge their own absurdity. And, you know, that either results in, you know, you getting uh, some blowback or them getting some uh, yeah. thought evolution. So I, I remember it's for the better. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the blowback to do that because at least that way you're giving them the chance for the evolution yeah. where if you just say you're wrong and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong instead of like, hey, let me ask you some questions. Yeah. Why, why this? How about this? Well, what about this? They might get as ma- just as mad as you as if you had told them they were wrong, but there's actually a chance. That but that, but that, wow, but they got wow, mad. You're right now that I thought about it, I they they got mad that time because they had conflicting ideas in their head, not because you were yelling at them or you were trying to get the better of them in an argument. So the second anger comes from a realization that they were wrong, and then once you have those two opposing ideas. Somehow you have to reconcile those and it takes a little moment of anger at your maybe at yourself or maybe at society or maybe at whatever reason caused, uh, you know, that disparity in your head, you know, to begin with, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's like grief, I guess, <laughs> you know, at first it's like Something. denial it's like and it's the, like the, anger. The five stages. The yeah. Five stages, right. Right. Absolutely. Anger, denial, grief, acceptance. Absolutely. But no, you're absolutely you right. You know, they, uh, one of the things in, um, like six Sigma training for business, you know, is the five whys. you know, if you ask why five times, you can usually get to the root of what the cause is of something, you know? So if you can ask people, Hey, why do you, why do you think that way? And then find another question to ask them why, wh- okay, you said this, but why is that? You know? And if you get, you know, down the, down the road, five levels, you probably pretty much have that, that, that epiphany happening or you have a better understanding of where they come from and they have everything all square in their head. Well, the more confident and knowledgeable you are in your own belief, I think the better you are at being able to lead somebody down that path because how did you come to believe what you believed? It's not like one day. Well, you have to be pretty certain, right? I'm a genius. I just figured shit out. It's like, no, you've read a lot. You've thought about it a lot. You've had a lot of conversations. Like it's nothing that just happens overnight. You put a lot of time and energy into that. So if you've got a very strong belief, and somebody says something that's very counterintuitive, if you're really knowledgeable, you should be able to lead lead, lead them with breadcrumbs, yeah, questions that right. you were proposed yeah. yourself yeah. that led you to think what yeah. you think because you didn't just wind up there one day. Chris, you asked yourself the same questions and Chris, you got presupposed with the same questions. Chris Voss uh, wrote uh, Never Split the Difference. He calls it uh, calibrated questions. You're, you're in, and he does it with negotiating where you're leading somebody to an answer that you already basically that you want. And, and, and so you've designed a series of questions in a way to lead them to give you that answer. Um, and this is exactly what you're describing, right? You're describing, Hey, um, but you have to have a, a bunch of knowledge just like you have to have a bunch of forethought to do what he was talking about, right? You have to sit down and you actually have to plan out your meeting or whatever you're doing to have these series of questions to lead this person to, to the, to the answer that you desire. But in your scenario, like what you said is absolutely correct. You have to have a good tangible knowledge of the substance of what you're talking about in order to navigate and to lead them down the, down the down the labyrinth of yeah, and I mean, it's the thing. It's not even like lead them down Q&A. to the path that I'm that I'm right and they're wrong. It's like lead them down the path so they understand why I believe what I believe. And then if they really are a good listener and mm-hmm. they're in good faith, they'll ask you questions that could help maybe even further your own understanding that you didn't think about. Yeah, now they understand we why don't, you think about it that way. And 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 you just touched on something that just doesn't happen right now. We don't get to that point of what you just said. What and hopefully they're listening and they're creating a level of understanding. 
you know, now we have these echo chambers and, you know, remember our first podcast that we did was, uh, about, uh, the mob mob mentality on Twitter. Right. And I think now, and shoot, man, when was that? That was five years ago, four years ago or something. Yeah. And, uh, four years ago. And now it's, it's even worse. The tribalism is even worse. We've had an election that has, you know, really divided people, um, politically, uh, and people have fallen further and further away from that understanding and more into those echo chambers of, of just this, this, this repeated just washing machine of ideas, whether, wouldn't you say to whether right or wrong or whether factual or not. But didn't these divisions always exist and all that's happening is now we have the internet and the mass media as a way to amplify these divisions to make us more aware of them. Do you know what I mean? It's like before yeah. the internet, did, did people not like, was racism and sexism? Not no, no, I don't, like, I don't, I, wasn't I, happening. I, I, I no, hear what you're saying, but, but I think that, I think life, that, right? I think that the coalescing of these minds creates a bigger a bigger sounding board which then creates which draws more people in. Does that make sense? And so they they they're 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 they're, they're getting bigger. They they're growing and maybe people who didn't have those opinions early on or or if they were if they were somehow divorced from that media then they wouldn't even they wouldn't even consider those type of things. And then may, and now they're, now they're drawn into it, you know, it's basically like radical, radical, radicalization to different degrees. Right. I mean, radicalization is just the, um, is the, uh, is the adopting of ideas to, to the extreme and how far you're willing to go in the belief of those ideas. Right. And so everything to some extent, takes you know is is that transformation um along uh, along some kind of timeline basically <laughs> you know well to tie back to the uh you know like community thing and put a bow on that uh why i don't think you know it was a no for me is that like i said the structure of society has changed so inherently with the car with the city with suburbia with our jobs still and how they're done in the brand the production line, most jobs are service jobs or they're middle management or bureaucratic jobs. You know, there's, there's not a lot of production jobs. You know, a lot of death of the union, all that thing. It's a lot less factories, everything's automated. I mean, that's the wave of the future. You'd think we'd be eliminating more jobs and gaining more leisure time. Nope. Alternatively, we're doing the exact opposite, even though we have better technology, which just seems crazy to me at the core of it. So it's going to be impossible to really like technology has never replaced human work. It's a, it's a, it's a fallacy to think that that's going to happen. There might be a transition. Technology period. has replaced human work. Well, what I mean, Buzz, is it, it, is it, has, it, it, it has, the question is, and, and what should be looked it, at is, you know, it, it's what I mean, in philosophy of technology, does the technology add to humanity or withdraw from it? The windmill, it works with humanity. It doesn't take anything away from it. The oil well withdraws from it. It extracts. It takes something out of it. Right. So the question is, what technologies are we cultivating, and how do those change us? Like, what makes us human is technology. And what so the and, technologies we embrace and how we use them—that's going to change us. That's going to change our culture. It's yeah. going to change our values. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that we're embracing fossil fuels, fracking—you know, like n- nuclear power—all things like that—that's reflecting in the changing culture. Yeah. And, and the things that are important to people. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I'm and you're right. It, it has it has replaced jobs. I meant in the sense of it hasn't taken jobs away 
from humanity in regards to we've always found another job to do. If this one is taken up and we've and we've relieved our 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 burden of this task through automation and technology, then we've also found new ways to you know for to stay gainfully employed. You know that's that's kind of what I was getting at. But you're well, absolutely but I, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of people have reached the futility of that though, where it's like you know if. The point of building the infrastructure was ultimately so that the technology could increase the leisure and relaxation and quality of everyone's life. Then why are we working more? Why why are we creating jobs we don't need? If I've learned anything during this pandemic, I think it's that like half of people realize they don't need to be at work. Everybody who hasn't lost their job, who works in an office, they realize like, yeah, and ninety percent of the time I'm just bullshitting. Yeah, I didn't read the article, but I saw I'm talking at the coffee machine. I'm in my fantasy pool. I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm I'm taking long walk breaks. I'm but, pretty much doing anything but working when yeah, I'm at work. Absolutely, I just do the work I need to do. That's assigned. If I'm busy, maybe I'm working eight hours. If I'm not busy, I'm working an hour. I used to say in college, "How long does it take to write a paper? How long does the professor give you?" Exactly. A day, a month. That's how long it takes me to that's write. That's how long it takes. That's how that's how that's how work works. People work Nobody to time, wants- not task, dude. Nobody wants to work. People want to do things they're passionate about. And Uh it might be that those things have benefits, whether it's like being a doctor, being a nurse. There's some work that doesn't have benefits that needs to get done, like, you know, being a janitor, things like that. It doesn't mean it's not a a noble endeavor and something that's needed and should be like celebrate. We we need that just as much as we need any other part of society. So I think it's really about like us reframing what work we value and why, you know, we need to have these crazy disproportionate payment ratios for certain professions over yeah. others where instead we can show each other you know hey we value everybody who's participating to at least a, a quality level you know what i mean like the fact that somebody's got to like clean the shitter they aren't a thousand times less important the argument would then be than the vice president of sales the argument would be then you know I mean? then would be that those services would be astronomically priced because the labor involved in those services would be so expensive so how do you reconcile that? Like, so if everybody's getting paid more, but their services cost more, then everything is neutral, even though you're just playing with bigger dollars. I mean, I don't think the proportionally. You see what I'm saying? Dictated. Yeah, but it's it's like if you look at like let's say a CEO salary rate. Because people aren't gonna actually. people aren't gonna give it up, man. That's that's a that's people don't go backwards. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, like airline fees for baggage didn't didn't just. Don't, All of a sudden, when gas, oil prices are through the through the floor, I mean, not, this is a bad circumstance, a bad time to talk about it because they're hurting so badly. But there was a time when they weren't doing so poorly, and they still found out that people can tolerate the twenty five dollars to check a bag, and so they never they never took that away. So what I'm saying is, is that. And and what we've been talking about, right, is that, and you've said it before, this is like continuous growth paradigm, right? That there's no no CEO on the planet is going to take less money out of the kindness of his heart, so that the consumer can pay less and he can pay his people more. Don't live in a state of capitalist realism that we're at the end of history and things are going to exist like this in perpetuity. Things are going to go back to normal. The cap. Capitalism is just going to continue on this perfect upward trajectory of endless growth and American exceptionalism. Like that is just Dude, not if you want to move to fucking China. You that's can go possible. Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, that's like that thing. Like, like, like you you criticize Apple for making iPhones on an iPhone. Curious. You live in society, and yet you want society to be better. Yes. Curious. Right. I am so smart. Like, 
all I want to do is just like have a conversation about how theoretically things could be improved and be enhanced. And the truth matters if you live in that capitalist realism sense we're at the end of history. I mean, a hundred years ago, the marginal tax rate was 90% on anything over $200,000. Right. Which would be equivalent right. to like 90% on anything over like a million dollars today. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you cannot make more than a million dollars a year. I'd be fine right now if people could not make more than $10 million a year. If that was the most you could make in a year, was $10 million, I'd be like, you know what? I think that's a good start. You could probably live on less, but you know what? If you made $10 million, someone tells me you're going to be okay for a while, and we could cap I, your pay. I would that. think so. You know I what I mean? So. And that would put us in a position where, okay. The argument says that that de-incentivizes people, that this incentivizes people to, um, to do work. We know it. Right, because ten million is still like a, a, a an astronomical figure. I mean, that's still a worthy. Listen, the idea behind goal. it is that people have this fear of like true communism. Let's say we're in a perfect world; everybody completely is intellectually and emotionally in tune with the needs of everybody else, and therefore they are only going to take according to what their needs. We know that can't happen because of human nature degrees. So people are worried. You know, it's not fair. Fair is always the word. I have to do stuff and other people don't. It's not fair that I have to pay for college and other people don't. It's always about me versus them. Yeah, oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like what I did was special or unique, and everybody else should have to go through it to get the same benefit. Right. Instead yes. Of being like, yes. Why don't we set a core level of benefits that we can all agree everybody have? Yes. Shelter. You know, food, I hated that water, argument. Healthcare, utilities, internet. Yeah. Everybody can have that, and then guess what? We can have a free market yeah. where we can work and do more to get a better life than that. To right. Get that better car. Because when you're not living house. in when you're, when you're not living in that fear, think about the, the how much fear freedom that gives you and how much relief that gives you that you have a safety net of these of these these basic things being taken care of and how much more productive in your mind you can be thinking about the things that you can create and the value that you can give to society. It's about having an infrastructure in place where people can want to do better while knowing they have a safety net to fail. Because right now, it like literally presupposes that everybody who's poor or homeless is like a piece of shit. Exactly, is lazy do and doesn't want and to work. What? Which if is we gave them something. If we which, gave them which, a place to stay, all they would people do that have shoot people that have never been heroin, people that right, place, right, you know right. I mean? People that have never been poor don't understand how expensive it is to be poor. Yeah. Right, you miss a payment, they give a fee. You park in the wrong you got, you place got, overnight. Cheap shit that breaks faster. Y- yeah, you, you waste your money on cheaper stuff. Your, your food is is not as healthy. Um, you're, I mean, it, it just your 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 car insurance is, 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 is just a crazy. Psychological incentive that it is a psychological just, incentive. That's a good. They, it's they, a, they, you hit on you touched on something they, I really didn't think agree of. They're right. It's it's literally built this way where like poor people are built into a way where they're culturally almost supposed to be brainwashed to believe if you can exploit the system you should because the system's it's fucked the, you your entire and it's life. it's the only way. So, there, so, so therefore, the second you get a chance to get back at the system, you should. Yep. And then therefore, the people in charge of the system say, look, if we change it, they'll just take advantage of it. Yes. Therefore, we should never change it's it. It's game. It literally is circular logic that gets you trapped in a system that self-perpetuates. Instead of saying, okay, I know if we gave everybody a one-bedroom apartment and healthcare and internet, and, you know, if you wanted to be a piece of shit and do nothing with your life, guess what? You could get your food stamps and eat fucking Top Ramen and live in your apartment and live a shitty, worthless life. Or, guess what? There's all these cool industries, people doing interesting things, trying to improve the world. You can help any of these endeavors and get more stuff and live a better life. 
I think 99.9% of people are like, I want to do something. See, wouldn't they argue that the projects was already that project? (laughs) I mean, the projects were a result of white flight from the suburbs, man. That was like, again, post post World War II New Deal stuff where, you know, there was a lot of economic things, loans issued where if you're either a GI or whether you're a business owner, you were able to take advantage of all these things and you saw like a huge, huge creation of suburbs and people departing cities, you know, that initial white flight post-World War II. That was the mass creation of the suburbs, basically. Yeah, and things really weren't that bad until a little bit later after the, uh, um, when all the manufacturing jobs started to close down and then that really like kind of torpedoed. There's really strong unions post-World War II. Great New Deal. Yeah. ton of public works projects, parks, new divisions created, social safety net, you know, GI Bill. You could buy a house for like $10,000 in 1950. Yeah, but like, remember like, this like, too. You know, everybody lot. talks about America's rise uh, as a manufacturing giant during this time, but you got to remember the rest of the civilized world was decimated. Why did America rise as a manufacturing giant? Well, nobody else could manufacture anything. They were all destroyed. Why? why, why did, but historically, why did they rise? Why? Because we nationalized every industry possible. Oh, right. In World War II. Right. Every car company, you're making tanks, you're making bombs. Everything. Guess what? Women, we need you working in these factories. We nationalized the entire country. And like you said, that we won the war. We turned our entire country into like basically a tank bomb making machine and blew up half the planet and came out the winner. It's like, guess what? Everybody else, you got to buy our shit now. Yeah. We're on top and we're making it. Right. Yeah. That's you know? basically it. I think that's a good that place to stop. Not- that was basically the last 40, 50 years of like basically. hardcore economic growth to, like you said, our industrialization. We're like, you know what? We can just make like the bombs and that's and the, and the planes. We can just we make that and we can export that shit to the rest of the world. Yeah. We can make nobody way more tanks, per no, unit. Nobody makes that other stuff. Yeah. Just, let's make the, the bombs. Yeah, we'll that's make that. Way. We'll make that. You know, and then hope to God we don't have to fight them later. You know, which we end up doing at some level. You know, you always see the, the RPGs and all the stuff that's American made in the Middle East. So crazy well dev man that was an awesome awesome podcast back uh we did uh 57 minutes uh right now That's a power hour brother so we were we were crushing and you're you were right man you said it that we'd fall right back into a groove um it felt like you were right here in the room and uh i like this format uh you know being able to have the uh the zoom up and do our thing and talk to the people i know there was a select few that was wanting us to get back together and do this thing. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, they enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun for us. And uh, I really like uh, the fact that we were able to do this, Dev. So thank you for joining me again. Peace and love to all of our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for motivating us to get started again and you know, starting this in the first place. I think now that we are back... Uh, and this is so easy to do over Zoom. We'll, we'll keep it going. We'll, we'll keep the topics going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we've got no excuses. This is too easy now. Right. Do it anytime. For people that don't so, know, our geographic so. distance did get greater since we started <laughs> this. You know, we used to live pretty close, you know, within a couple miles of each other. And now we, you know, are about 15 minutes apart. So uh, that is yeah, always. I, mean, I, a, I, re- I really, truly enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, for everybody listening, I hope you guys did too. Uh, you know, we're not claiming to be geniuses we're not claiming to be right about everything we just are passionate about our our ideas and wanting to discuss them and you know if somebody wants to challenge them and add something nuanced to the conversation i i love it i love hearing your thoughts and ideas and finding out uh you know that maybe i'm wrong about something and need to need to re-reflect so absolutely uh, everyone out there uh 
keeps on churning these thoughts and stay safe. Yeah, I think we're just two dudes just chatting away and sharing ideas and want to share them with others and see what others think, right? We're just normal guys. So absolutely, dude. Well, awesome to see you, my friend. Take care during this quarantine. Tell your brother I said hey, and uh, peace and love, and we'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Much love, brother. Take care.